this is the inverted cranium. Bridge by bridge, scene by scene, bite by bite, note by note. The inverted cranium. The portal to Scott Mason's mind. Today, we're going to have a really nerdy discussion, and it's not going to be a discussion with myself this time. A really nerdy discussion while trying to throw in some existential um, questions about a beloved character in science fiction. And beloved or infuriating, depending on who you ask. So I'd like to introduce my buddy, Matt Goodman. Hey, how's it going? Hey, glad to have you here. Glad to have you here, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Now, we have both seen tons and tons of Godzilla movies. When I was a kid, every Godzilla movie that I could get my grimy five-year-old paws on in the local blockbuster or library would eventually make it into my VCR or DVD. Um, was is that similar in your case, Matt? Yeah, that uh, after I saw the original Godzilla as a little kid, I decided I needed to see pretty much all of them. And for better or worse, sometimes better, sometimes worse. <laughs> yeah, we live in a very exciting time for Godzilla fans. <laughs> it's a super exciting time because of the, the most recent Godzillas, uh, Shin Godzilla and Godzilla Minus One that we'll be discussing along with some other eras uh, of our of the famous giant lizard um, are two of the best that have ever been made. So it, it is exciting times. Just for our fellow listeners, we are basically not discussing the MonsterVerse at all. And we are going to eschew the millennium verse we will only go into deep dives in the original godzilla godzilla versus destroya and the two new godzillas gods um shin godzilla and godzilla minus one i mean no offense to the monster verse and all of that stuff they are desperately mediocre and not particularly interesting um ideologically or as films so like, anybody who's, like, a huge MonsterVerse stan or whatever, like, forgive us, but you have terrible taste, so I don't feel that bad. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yeah. It's, it's like Marvel, it's like the Marvel Universe is an atomic bomb dropped on, like, every other franchise in the universe. Yeah. And uh, it's, it, it really just makes my head bleed that this, these are so popular. And I'm glad Toho is starting to steal a little bit of the thunder back. I mean, they made the original, MonsterVerse made the clone. Yeah, and uh, like a lot of things, the clone is sort of a soulless simulacrum that honestly is just inferior. It's the Danny DeVito uh, to Arnold Schwarzenegger in Twins. Sorry, that's kind of a deep cut. <laughs> oh. oh, no, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so let us begin where, with the humble beginnings of Gojira or Godzilla. Let's lump them together because they're more or less the same movie, though. Godzilla just has Raymond Burr and a bunch of, like, the clips from Gojira mishmashed together, some removed, etc., etc. So, Matt, what did you like about the original Godzilla? So... What I love about the original Godzilla is that it, it, it well, first, just I want to set a little history, that it, it came out originally in 1954. Um, very, very, very quickly, 
after uh, the end of World War II, uh, the dropping of the nuclear bombs on Hiroshima uh, and Nagasaki. So we're talking the the obvious allegory <laughs> uh, to uh, nuclear war, nuclear power, nuclear destruction is fresh in the historical memory. Less than a decade, basically. Yeah. So that's kind of amazing to think about. Uh, that this idea came uh, that quickly. Um, what I also love is that it was made very, very, very quickly. Um, in It took 51 days of principal photography, right? And then the special effects took about 71 days. And also a little-known clip, one of the original designs for Godzilla made him a giant octopus. <laughs> what? Yep. So, which if you've ever seen like a lot of like uh, old, like uh, very like classical uh, uh, Japanese art, a lot of octopi, a lot of stuff like that. But yeah, I think the history would be looking, filmic history, we'd be looking at would be very different uh, if we we're talking about a giant octopus. <laughs> yeah. How about you? What do, what, what do you find fascinating or interesting uh, about the original? Well, it got something right that we will circle back to quite a lot near the end when we get to Shin Godzilla and Godzilla Minus One. Yeah. That there is clearly a hero. Yeah. There are heroes on the ground level who are not Godzilla. And I suppose, I guess when Godzilla is alone, this is a lot easier. And... I feel like it was the begin like an era that was just too short for the Godzilla for Godzilla movies because of the themes for the rest of that um, era. Because Godzilla's the Godzilla franchise is divided up into continuities, not just the Toho verse and the monster verse. Yes. Um, so I like the human element of Godzilla. I mean, obviously the acting is campy, but the way they treat humanity is more what I'm referring to. Mm. That it has the capacity to solve its own problems. The other thing I love about God, the original Godzilla is the trolley problem at the end. Mm -hmm. So basically for the... Um, Matt, you're more of an expert on the trolley problem, <laughs> but it's basically an environmental trolley problem for like how to destroy Godzilla at the end of Godzilla. Yeah. So at the end, of, so there is a, uh, a paleontologist, his name's Yamane. Yeah. Who is interested in Godzilla because of his resistance to radiation, right? That no, this is a creature that has survived and flourished despite nuclear testing. Right. Again, very obvious parallels to literally like very recent history at that point. And so he wants to study Godzilla for its resistance uh, to radiation, how it can help humanity. But at the same time, right, the government says, no, we're not going to do that. They build uh, at first a giant electric fence, <laughs> which with predictably dismal results. Um, any of you who ever watched uh, Pacific Rim? There's sort of a direct, which is like Guillermo del Toro's giant mecha versus kaiju movies. Uh, they There is a reference to this electric fence and the giant wall that like Australia builds that fails. Uh, so kind of a, again, another sort of deep cut on this. So there's this argument between, in, uh, within the family, between um, uh, Yamane and his daughter, 
um, sorry, not his daughter, his uh, um, uh, a, a salvage ship captain, the yeah. love interest of his daughter. Yeah. Um, about whether or not it's worth studying Godzilla and leaving it alive or trying to kill it. Yeah. So it's this way. Like, do you let tens of thousands of people, the trolley problem is this, do you let tens of thousands of people die now to Godzilla killing them? Or do you potentially let millions of people die because we don't learn how to uh, don't learn from Godzilla how to deal with radiation? Yeah, that's one. That's like that's like a separate trolley problem. Mm-hmm. What I was thinking, but yeah. So then, I, oh, so are we talking about the, the oxygen, the destroyer. oxygen destroyer? Yeah. So the but way I, that was a great insight, by the yeah. way. Not to not to steal your thunder. Okay, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, so yeah, so they're two separate ones. The other one is the oxygen destroyer. Which is which disintegrates oxygen um, and causes organisms to basically asphyxiate, right? Because yeah. they, they need oxygen. So the trolley problem that gets set up is the worry that if they use the oxygen destroyer now to stop Godzilla and save tens of thousands of Japanese people, that the superpowers of the world will force them to construct more oxygen destroyers <coughs> as a super weapon. So there's our trolley problem. It's, yeah. There's another one. Uh, and do you agree? Do you agree with the decision that finally gets made at the end? Um, honestly, I do honestly agree with the destruction of Godzilla because nothing else would have stopped him. Yes. Even Although... Godzilla versus Destroya, which we will talk about I'll later, totally changes my perspective. But um, the uh, there's a third trolley problem I was also thinking about now that you brought it up. Um, do you allow every single living organism in Tokyo Bay to die, to die in addition to Godzilla? Mm. Or do you allow Godzilla to keep wreaking havoc? Yeah. So I want to note here that the oxygen destroyer does, does, is not particularly targeted. It yeah. just destroys all the oxygen in the large area. They do plant the device in Tokyo Bay. And the way they try to solve the other problem is by destroying all their notes on the oxygen destroyer. And the scientist behind it dies. 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 So that hopefully no one will ever be able to make one in the future. Oh, of course. Once we go a little bit into a brief and arguably inconsequential deep dive into the history of Godzilla from that entire era and the following era, which ends with the next movie we'll be going into in detail. Yeah. But so basically after Godzilla... What would you just? De- how would you describe the era, the Showa era? I believe it's called. Oh, uh, just like trying to create more monsters, like trying to like do like the Marvel Factory method of like making Marvel movie after Marvel movie and bringing hero after hero into it. Yeah. So there is a little thing at the end of the original where they note that you know maybe if there is more nuclear testing, there's going to be another Godzilla. Yeah. In the future. So, I think that some of the metaphorical presence of Godzilla gets lost um, in the uh, ensuing (laughs) uh, following films. Because note that the struggle is no longer of humanity a lot of the times versus Godzilla. Or essentially the struggle of humanity with the weapons it has itself created. Yeah. 
right? Because Godzilla, remember, is human created here. Yeah. And that, to me, I think marks a significant and sad departure from the importance of the original film. I don't, I don't know. That that's like my general. Oh, yeah. Take. I oh, I agree a hundred percent. It also is very uh, reductive of humanity's role in its own crisis response. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That like there are, despite the campy acting, yeah, right, which is stylized and can seem sort of silly. Look beyond that. The actual themes that we just described, right? Humanity grappling with not only developing technology to solve its problems, but the new problem is caused by that very technology being developed. The idea of balancing uh, today versus tomorrow. Um, or in this case, you know, the very, uh, uh, the uh, idea of thinking about the long-term consequences, like if I use this one weapon, then I'm going to be asked by others to make it. These are really big human questions that, again, get lost in a whole bunch of ridiculous, increasingly ridiculous monsters. Basically every mistake that is ever made in a Kurt Vonnegut book. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. I don't know if Vonnegut would... uh, I don't know know how Vonnegut felt about Godzilla. I don't (laughs) know either. Yeah. Um, but he, I know he certainly did have a problem with the indiscriminate indifference of creating new technology weapons, at, particularly as well. But yeah, he might really have enjoyed the first Godzilla. Uh, yeah. I, I could see that being possible. But he's like, a writer; he'd think the rest is lazy. Yeah, and like the, thinking about Godzilla, like as a singular film, I think is really helpful. Because we're talking about a film franchise that has the Guinness Book of World Record of the longest-running film franchise in in history. So, they're still going. I mean, we're still talking about it now. Something that came out in 1954. Yeah. And still feels fresh and relevant. And now has 36 films. In addition to video games, books, comics, you name Like, toys. Yeah. Anime. Like... There's so much Godzilla out there in the world. So I think grounding us in like where it started yeah. and like why he was made and the context he was made is a really great place, really yeah. great place to start. Yeah, and it's basically just as you start seeing more of Mothra and Rodan and King Ghidorah, there's basically just a loss of all that. It's just you get humanity gets increasingly irrelevant in it in the movies it's making about Godzilla. Exactly. Like this is about Godzilla versus versus Mothra or Ghidorah lose a freaking outer space dragon. We might not even be there. Yeah. At all. I'm like it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like humanity what is the point of humanity uh in that context? And so that's why I think beyond uh, this very broad discussion is not really worth super talking about most of these films. Yeah. Uh, because they lack the sort of resonance on a human level of, of the best Godzilla movies. Yes, exactly. So we are going to go to the next one right now that actually has a little bit more significance. It goes in a particular direction as long as it's uh, inferior predecessor Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. We are talking about Godzilla versus Destroya. I watched it for the first time recently, and dubbing aside, there actually were some things I liked about that movie, but perhaps I'd like to ask you first, Matt. Yeah, so, 
first of all, when I was uh, uh, talking to my partner about this episode and what we're going to talk about, and I mentioned Space Godzilla, she's like, wait, is that a real thing? You're not just messing with me? I'm like, no, that's a real thing. Uh, <laughs> so we see a little bit, I mean, there is basically little Godzilla. There is like baby Godzilla, Godzilla's son. So this is a very different era uh, of Godzilla. This is Godzilla with like a family, like as a family man. Yeah, and and it's it's the second attempt at Godzilla being a family man, where the where the first attempt during the previous era was the one of the most unpopular monsters they ever created. <laughs> yeah, so like though the big difference here, Godzilla as sort of a pure allegorical reference to nuclear holocaust, um, and now nuclear holocaust has like a son and is being anthropomorphized. Like this is a very very different film. Uh, with very, very different themes. However, we are seeing some continuity, right? This is the same universe. We have the grandson of the first uh, uh, Dr. Yamane, the paleontologist from the first Godzilla of that one, who's like starting to think that Godzilla's heart, which is basically a nuclear reactor, is about to like go through go through a meltdown <laughs> yeah and if and when he reaches a certain temperature he will explode and destroy the world yes so like <laughs> we're not worrying about like godzilla's cardiac health like <laughs> it's no longer like are we going to use an, uh, 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 the oxygen destroyer to kill godzilla and all of the 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 marine life in the Tokyo Bay, we're just like, you know, do we have Godzilla's blood pressure is kind of getting high? <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe we don't want him to, you know, have his version of a heart attack and then explode and destroy the Earth. Which, by the way, if that actually happened when people had heart attacks, like we wouldn't be recording this episode. Um, we do have some continuities, like there is a. Uh, forgot what they call them but like these little like creatures that got mutated by the oxygen destroyer they're microscopic um they're microscopic organisms that are like crabs oh uh, yeah yeah and then uh so they got mutated and they combine right and they're they're what's called destroyer, destroyer. right they're destroyer um so <laughs> they uh, what i like about them is that like godzilla is like we're worried about him getting too hot so we have like a nice opposite. The way that they're holding back uh, Destroya is by sub-zero temperatures. Yeah, and they're also trying to use sub-zero temperatures to delay Godzilla's meltdown, but it's not nearly as effective. No, it's not nearly as effective. Then the Destroya can combine. So they continue to combine. Uh, they get bigger. They destroy the sort of low temperature lasers, like the cold lasers. Yeah. And then they start flying. Yeah. Um. Yes, they were underwater organism. Yes, they were crab-like creatures, but now they now they can fly. It's yeah. Again, some of Destroyer is one of the better films uh, in this sort of like middle era of Godzilla. But I'm still going to say there are issues here. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and what as and the thing I really like though is that this movie is really about fatherhood and passing the torch. The this and Godzilla versus Space Godzilla, which is a significantly inferior predecessor to this movie, they're both about fatherhood, which actually makes sense given the monsters they're up with. They actually display exceptional levels of cruelty for Godzilla's villains. Yes. 
Space Godzilla is not above taking little Godzilla hostage and using him against his father. Kind of like, I read this article in Vox.com about how ruthless otters are. Like, <laughs> like how they like, how like an otter would basically hold a pup of another otter hostage in exchange for food. Man, that is cold. And apparently there's just all sorts of weird, um, violent playfulness with their prey. Yeah, it's scary uh, as hell. It does show at least otters love their children enough to trade them for food. Yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, but like, so Godzilla, so, <laughs> so like baby Godzilla, little Godzilla at this point is now Godzilla Jr. Cause yeah. he's gotten a little bit bigger. Um, and uh, he battles this bigger flying destroyer form, but destroyer absorbs Godzilla Jr.'s DNA. Yeah. Uh, the original Godzilla shows up, like comes he comes back to life and kills uh, Godzilla Jr. Yeah. Um, Godzilla then, you know, defeats the drives destroyer off, doesn't kill him, but tries to bring Junior back to life, but uh, does not. And uh, that makes Godzilla, uh, his nu- his nuclear meltdown, get much, 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 much worse. And also causes him to, like, his breath to just turn, like, violet red instead of, like, blue. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's, like, entering overclock mode, you know? And he uses that, that uh, uh, nuclear breath heat ray to really de- desperately wound Destroya. Um, and then uh, Destroya tries to fly away. Uh, the humans, showing up for once, uh, fire the, the cold lasers at Destroya's wings, which cause them to break, and it plummets, and then it basically, like, crashes onto the ground and dies. Yeah. Um, and then Godzilla melts down, but the cold lasers um, minimize or reduce... Reduce the damage, not really minimize, because it makes the nuclear fallout stops the world, doesn't destroy the world, but does render Tokyo um, entirely uninhabitable. For the moment. Until. Da 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 da! Godzilla Jr. takes in all of this radiation and comes back to life. As a full grown Godzilla. It's just this somber, like, scene when the smoke is slowly clearing and you see this adult Godzilla after the previous Godzilla head's body had just literally melted because his temperature had gotten so high. Yes. Because, yeah, so in the meltdown, OG Godzilla croaks. Yeah. Um, And now, you know, uh, Junior is now Godzilla proper. Yeah, he, he's now uh, king of the monsters, um, which like passing the torch. Yeah, right. So, what did you like about Godzilla versus Destroya, and what do you think needed work? Um, I have to say that like I thought some of the special effects were all right. Um, I thought that uh, it at least had real themes here uh, of passing the torch, about sacrificing for your child. Um, about grief yeah um but again my main and and there's some continuity like the oxygen destroyer and then the the side effects of using technology and weaponry like creates destroyer you know that like yesterday's solutions birth tomorrow's problems yeah um 
So I like all of those things uh, about it. How about you? What did what did you like about it? Um, what I liked is is actually a problem with a solution boiled in. Okay. So the solution part is Godzilla got to be a hero in unusual ways. He saved the world from himself by like, really, maybe it was dumb luck. He was just standing over his son while he was melting down. <laughs> but still, he did save the world from himself by... And also, he got to be the kind of hero that a father is supposed a father who like helps or saves his own child is supposed to be yeah it's very it's a very mundane form of heroism mm-hmm. e- very every day only it's for a monster however that's what i like but the problem is i believe toho was focusing in the wrong direction of who should be significant in a godzilla movie which they are currently going overboard to solve right now yes uh, so I, I want to give one more flower to Godzilla vs. <laughs> Destroya. That at least we had, um, unlike you know uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla two, I think was, and yeah. then uh, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. Yeah, there were efforts here to create an actual like story beyond just the spectacle, right? Yeah. There were there was some competent storytelling with arcs for characters. Um, there was some minimal amount of human agency. We did a little bit to help. Yeah. Um, so I, I just want to give a little bit that like this was moving more in the right direction in those ways. But um, I have to say that my critique is I never want Godzilla to be mundane. Yeah. Like Godzilla, I don't also don't really want to be a hero either yeah right godzilla is purely allegory he is not human he's not driven by human motivations nor should he be and this is where i think now we're starting to see with the most recent uh two godzilla films a real uh understanding of this uh re-emerging this is also why the monster verse doesn't work for me by the way it's just he's not he is a perversion of nature, not a guardian of it. Yeah, like he's born from freaking nuclear weapons. Like, yeah, he he is not driven by a desire to like safeguard the earth. Like, no, he he just he he kills things. Yeah. So now we shall jump to Shin Godzilla. Shin Godzilla. Haha. It's the. Uh, it's real good. Oh yeah. <laughs> So, basically, it was made not long after the tsunami in Japan. When was that, Matt? I wish I... I'd... So, it was first announced in 2014, um, and uh, principal photography took place uh, late in, in 2015, and then, uh, so it was drawing from Fukushima and uh, the 2011 earthquakes and tsunami, and then was released in summer of 2016. Um, so I want to note that it was the highest grossing live action Japanese film of 2016. Um, and at that point, the highest grossing Japanese Godzilla film, uh, in the franchise history until Godzilla minus one. And that had a lot of disadvantages that we'll go into later. But first, what did you like about Shin Godzilla? So 
the first things I want to say about Shin Godzilla is that it has an amazing creative team. And this comes through really, really, really clearly. So one of the reasons why they uh, Toho announced the creative team first, right, was first to set forward that it had no connections to the MonsterVerse, by the way, which is not nearly as popular in Japan. Uh, it's not uh, as it is uh, globally or in the United States. And second, right, that this was going to be... I mean, they announced two heavy hitters. It was Hideki Anno and Shinji Higuchi who had worked on Neon Genesis Evangelion together. Ooh, man. Yeah. Like, that's like, uh, it's it's an amazing series, but Matt, you probably pick up on, on a lot more of the hidden undertones of that. So Evangelion is a one of the most celebrated uh, anime series of all time. Um, and this is anime in its most adult form. It involves child soldiers, it involves depression, suicide, death, the end of the world, and then body horror. Um, that, and it also has mecha, it has giant robots and various forms of monsters who oh. are... Although the robots, on the other hand, unlike, let's say, Voltron or Gundam, when those robots get hurt or they get damaged, they get burns, they like... They are actually alive. Yeah, semi-alive robots. So there's like, it's just, they have, they get teeth knocked out. There's like... They eat each other. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's gross and it's intentionally gross. Um, And so when they announced this creative team, there was going to be a clear creative vision. These are not uh, uh, people who go in and produce something cookie cutter. It's going to be a very distinctive version uh, of Godzilla. And the final product, as we'll talk about, really leaned into the sort of like biological body horror uh, themes as well in terms of the character design. And also it told me that even though Evangelion is known for like its monsters and and um robots is ultimately about the people inside yeah um it's about family relationships it's about isolation depression and choosing human connection uh, and hope in the face of despair so that also told the public that they'd be dealing with these very real human themes with godzilla (laughs) yeah as sort of the uh, uh, fulcrum or uh, to or the context through which to understand and, and strive with them. Yeah, basically, we're not messing around this time, people. This is going to be different. We get it. Yeah. We get it. This is not going to be uh, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. Um, yeah. So do you want to... Uh, so uh, I want to note that here that this is a reboot. Yeah. Right. This is a uh, reboot, so it's retelling the Godzilla origin story. So yeah, it's to- it's a bunch of radioactive waste that got like washed into, um, was it Tokyo Bay? Yeah, it's in the Tokyo Bay Aqualine. Yeah. yeah. So we're back to where we started, right? Yeah. Tokyo Bay. Yeah. Um, and we're starting with a very like immature version of godzilla he's like a tadpole he can't even walk on all fours he's just slithering exactly i love it yeah right and then that version of godzilla eventually evolves quickly to a to a bipedal organism yeah but then 
like gets too hot and then has to go back into the water. Yeah. Um, which I love, right? It's showing, cause we talked about like the body, the biological horror themes. Yeah. We're starting to see a creature who quickly and rapidly evolves. Yeah. Uh, uh, to overcome whatever we throw at it. Yeah. Um, so they quickly, the government officials are realizing that this creature is highly radioactive. Yeah. Right. It's, it's really leaving radiation everywhere that it goes. And we have, um, uh, 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 anti-nuclear, uh, I think zoologist, um, Goro Maki has studied mutations caused by, uh, radiation and predicted the appearance of a creature like this. Yeah. Right. No one, no one thought, everybody thought this guy was a crank. Yeah. Right? Uh, he was dismissed. Um, and therefore it all got buried. So when they found in a, uh, a like a ship with no one on it, it turned out to be uh, Maki's Maki's ship. Yeah. And he left his notes there. Yeah. Um, so the name Godzilla comes from these notes and then comes back in its next form. It's huge now. It's doubled in size. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Japan's army tries to fight it. You could guess how that goes. Yeah. Predictable results. The U.S. does a massive, has this plan for like just, in a very U.S. style, right? We're just gonna bomb the crap out of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Godzilla, you know, so the U.S. then bombs the crap out of it with uh, with like um, huge bombs, which does hurt Godzilla. But Godzilla then fires his uh, nuclear breath. He starts. You start also. This is also the first time I think they actually have lasers coming out of his spines too. I've never seen Godzilla's body used like this. Yeah. So you know the the classic like almost like dinosaur plates. Yeah. Right. So yeah, lasers start shooting out of those too. Um, it uh, blows up a helicopter with the prime minister and other government people in it, and just like renders large portions of Tokyo just ash. It's basically how he takes out smaller things like drones as well. Like, it's more precision-based combat for Godzilla. And then uh, Godzilla goes to sleep. He's real tired. Goes to sleep, stops moving. Um, And uh, they realize the scientists are working on figuring out Godzilla's biology. So again, the themes of, like, biology because this rapidly evolving creature that the plates, like the the like the dinosaur plates and blood, cool Godzilla. So he like kind of overheated. That's why he went into a, do- a dormant state. So they're like, well, maybe we could freeze Godzilla, right? He has this cooling system, and Godzilla, thanks to tissue samples, they find out it, it's not only a, a constantly evolving but can reproduce asexually. Yeah. Um, the UN learns about this and is like, well, if Japan, you don't, you don't kill this thing, we're going to drop thermonuclear weapons on it. So again, lovely going back to this, uh, the specter of internet of, uh, the international world, like sacrificing Japan, dropping nuclear weapons on it. Um, so then they're still working on Dr. Maki's notes. <laughs> the code turns out to be based on origami. Yeah. Uh, which is, oh, so Japanese. Like, mwah, lovely. Um, they move forward to, to, to freeze Godzilla. 
They get they send out a bunch of drones against Godzilla to fire off its lasers. Um, then they blow up a bunch of buildings around Godzilla, send trains at Godzilla's feet, and then like entire like I guess like tank thing tankers like big yeah. containers of liquid nitrogen yeah. and like cranes to hold his mouth open yeah. they just dump that stuff down his throat are shoved and then godzilla gets frozen solid yeah right uh it turns out the fallout from godzilla has a short half-life so tokyo's the radiation dissipates the nuclear attack gets uh, called off called off but with the caveat that if godzilla wakes up again they're just gonna nuke him yeah uh and then one of my favorite details from this version of Godzilla is that lasers also shoot out of Godzilla's tail. Yeah. And then the last scene is like kind of horrific um, that you see Godzilla's frozen tail and there are like humanish human like uh, figures that appear to be frozen in the act of trying to emerge from Godzilla's tail. Yeah. So this idea we talk about the asexual reproduction, that it was possible that either now or already some of these human Godzillas had escaped. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. And also one very simple detail also while we're on the body horror thing is the jaw. Yeah. I've never seen Godzilla's jaw open like this more. It's like a bullfrog jaw. Yeah, it like completely like unjoints and like splits um he has a godzilla at points like has this like dark reddish um coloring that looks almost like he's bleeding or burned like it's a very nightmarish um uh, uh version of godzilla he's not like the noble monster verse or the campy uh uh or o- og like man in a suit godzilla like this is a creature of nightmare he's there is absolutely nothing human <laughs> Yeah. about him he is just the pure embodiment of like natural destruction no happy dance in godzilla versus monster zero i don't like, let's that did not happen it's not in my memory oh yeah it did it no oh, it did oh it did happen like he's just like jumping up and down like it's like a russian jig it's god awful yeah like yes the idea of a dancing godzilla is one of those that feels like a joke what actually happened? Although, although to be fair, aliens probably told him to do it. He was under their control. <sighs> but yeah, still. But one other thing I loved about Shin Godzilla, you could probably, if it, there was a nickname, it would be Godzilla versus Bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Bureaucracy is clearly the other monster. So t- t- go on more about that, because I completely agree. Yeah, so basically... In in every other Godzilla movie ever since the original Godzilla, the moment Godzilla shows up, it's like a Pearl Jam song for human from the human perspective. Yeah, like it's like uh, Stone Gossard and I think Mike McCready is the other guitarist. They play like a really like they play either a good or great guitar riff. The bass drum hits. And then the energy just dies the moment Eddie Vedder starts singing. Yes. The moment Godzilla shows up in all those post-original Godzilla movies, up until Shin Godzilla is, look, we're doing everything we can, but this is an unforeseen circumstance, so there's no accountability for for whether or not we wet the bed trying to stop him. This 
political incompetence is a bit more naked. Yeah. That we're talking, because one of the major things that has been noted about Japanese governance in recent decades is this complete inability to do anything. Like, it's old, um, it's ossified, like, it moves at the speed of, like... A drunk sloth. Yeah. Or, like, the speed of, like, um... Uh, uh, of stained glass like it's technically moving but is imperceptible to the human eye <laughs> yeah. um, so this is you know the problem that the government here is that they just can't make up their mind what to do that these plans to defeat Godzilla generally just come from motivated individuals right, or patriotic individuals working together, but not through the bureaucracy. Um, And then also it shows that they basically cave, they basically, like, give in to the rest of the world, the United Nations in in this particular case. Like, the best thing they can do is, like, they're going to drop a nuke on us, like, here's a couple days. Like, not like, no, you can't nuke Japan. Yeah. You know, that it really, um, I think in... A very effective way uh, both promotes the ability of the Japanese people to solve problem solve and be dynamic and basically like like the fish isn't rotting from the tail yeah exactly but saying like we need a government yeah that can be worthy right yeah of these heroic individuals and I think that that is I am not Japanese. I'm not a scholar on Japan, but from the little I know about it, uh, this actually seems to be a pretty good uh, critique of Japanese bureaucracy, particularly in the wake of things like Fukushima. Yeah. 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 And also numerous heads of state dressed up in the service uniforms of like disaster relief uniforms. Yes. um, For press conferences. And obviously my relationship with Shin Godzilla was unusual compared to virtually every other Godzilla movie because it's like, okay, maybe a few political scandal, political scandals, but yeah, now I really want them to solve this. Like, it's just, it's, it's not like, okay, Godzilla beat, bash King Ghidorah's skull in, maybe rip off one of his three dragon heads, yeah, tear a wing off and then just go your merry way. Until the next movie. That is not what Shin Godzilla was. Minus one is even better. Yeah. But, like, it's understanding that Godzilla's not a hero. Yeah. He's something to be overcome. Yeah. Not something to, like, be friends with. Yeah. it's ba- He's basically, and this is why he has so much transformative potential for addressing societal ills. But you don't address those societal ills by relying on Godzilla. Yes. You address them... By subverting him, by defeating him. Yes. Even temporarily. Because the nature of the of the problems that Godzilla represents, whether they're uh, the dangers of nuclear weapons, uh, in this case of natural disasters, and government bureaucracy and ineptitude. Uh, <laughs> and also lousy environmental planning. They're not things that you defeat and then they are gone forever. There are things that every generation has to learn how to combat in its own way, has yeah. to learn to overcome in their own way. That is what Godzilla helps us do and capture 
and like humanity's ingenuity, uh, intelligence, and fortitude in the face of those sort of recurring existential threats. Yeah, totally. And now we get to the final item on this podcast episode. Um, and that is Godzilla minus one. First off, Kevin Smith already talked about some of the things we're talking about the moment I checked. And I have to say, I totally agree with the guy. But we're going to go into this anyway, because this is such an unbelievably good movie. Not an unbelievably good Godzilla movie, an unbelievably good movie. Period. Yeah. Like, I just want to make, be very, 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 very clear that this is one of the best movies of 2023, um, by far. Just on a purely objective scale. Obviously, every movie is made better by the presence of Godzilla. Let's be honest that there were a ton of crappy movies in uh, 2023 that could have used some Godzilla. I would have loved to have seen Godzilla stop stop his way through the Aquaman movie. Oh my god. Please. Like, three minutes of Godzilla. The opening scenes of Minus One have more energy, excitement... Um, and real emotion than the entire Aquaman film. God, that film was bad. Um, so this was a, yet another reboot uh, of Godzilla. But this is not the sort of lazy Spider-Man reboots where they are telling the same the central story with the same essential themes over and over again. They're using Godzilla to dis- to discuss different issues in Japanese culture. So I want to be very clear that it might seem like this was a lazy or stupid idea after such a great reboot in Shin Godzilla. But like, what to you made Minus One significantly different uh, than Shin Godzilla? I've never seen a Godzilla movie where human beings are so significant and matter as much as they do in in Godzilla Minus One. Mm -hmm. It's just, the whole... The whole first off, it takes place right after World War II. Tokyo is in ruin, and the protagonist is a kamikaze pilot who gets second thoughts. So when he gets home, everyone stinking hates him because he's still alive. And overall, it's really a movie about a society learning how to come to the conclusion that its existence counts in a, in a, with a, with a relationship that their existence does not depend on a willingness to die for honor. Mm -hmm. It is basically the choice that they really are worthy of continuing their lives. I, I, I love that. That's precisely what the film is about. And like, People often wonder, why is it called Godzilla Minus One? It's called Godzilla Minus One because Japan was at zero in the wake of World War, the immediate wake of World War II. Like every, like, and the film captures this, is how destroyed uh, psychologically and materially Japanese society is. And it's in that context that Godzilla appears. So they're not, no longer just at zero. Yeah. They're at minus one right? They're at their lowest of the low points. They have thought that they've lost everything. And it turns out that there is yet more 
to lose. And so the, the relationships that um, the protagonist, um, Chikishima, uh, has really change over time. That there is, when he comes back alive from the war, his neighbor curses him out for not doing his duty, for not dying honorably. But like, this is, you know, spoiler alert, by the end, they have developed, uh, her name's Sumiko, that they have developed such a close relationship that that Shikishima leaves his um, adopted daughter, Akiko, to, to Sumiko to care for. Yeah. Um, and Kasumiko has helped raise her and love her um, and has essentially become like an aunt. Yeah. Right? And so note that these are the kind of like rich <laughs> character arcs for uh, uh, all the humans that you rarely see in Godzilla films. And the buddy that he and his... Um... Uh, the, the protagonist and his uh, um, girlfriend-ish are um, it's, it's a complicated relationship yeah. and very painful. Um, but um, basically his co-workers, he develops a great relationship with his three co-workers on a boat that was designed to destroy mines. Yeah. Um, and there is from the initial, so the initial Godzilla attack that happens at the very end of uh, World War II. Um, there are only two survivors. There's Chikishima and Tachibana. And Tachibana blames Chikishima. For not killing Godzilla with a machine gun, even though it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. But, you know, Tachibana gets recruited to help fix up the plane um, that Chikishima is going to use to attack Godzilla at the end. And we think the whole time that Tachibana wants him to die. Yeah, wants Shikishima to die. But we get a flashback to them having their last conversation. And Tachibana shows him where the ejector seat is and tells him to live. Yeah. Apparently, oh, here's also some other really amazing fun facts. Apparently those kinds of planes did exist in World War II, like, I, like there were ones that Germans provided to Japan that were never used, which is why it actually had an escape pod, why it had an ejection seat. So this is a lovely use of both of historical detail, but for the very important, because note that in this, Tachimana's, in, in, on a human level, is telling this person that he is vilified and hated and blamed. They're like, I, who hate you the most, want you to live and let go of your guilt Yeah, for not dying. That, like, it is actually, that he is also, task, like, implying that Shikishima actually did the right thing. Yeah. That dying pointlessly was not honorable. But yeah. instead, living, like, yeah. truly living is the honorable thing to do. And that... And that is not just a personal statement. It's a statement toward all of Japan. Yeah. Right. And, you know, people talk, the reason why this is talked about is maybe the best Godzilla movie ever made. Yeah. I mean, it's beaten Pan's Labyrinth in in the U.S. with the 
in terms of earnings. It's, it's, and with a limited release, it's only, it's, that's a disadvantage. And it wasn't even a colossal budget. It was less than $15 million. Can you, $15 million is like what Aquaman spent on like food. Yeah. Like catering for like everyone on set. Yeah. Like it's insane that like Aquaman is expected to have to bring in between 400 and $500 million globally just to break even, which is nuts to think about. This unbelievable gem of a film, which looks amazing, by the yeah. way, looks amazing, um, costs less than $15 million and on the limited release has made already about $100 million, which is crazy. Yeah. And also... Two other details I love about Godzilla Minus One. That amazing scene when Godzilla is like, it's like Kevin Smith pointed out, it's like, how long could it have possibly taken to do Jaws with Godzilla? Yeah. It's when he's chasing the boat, the the guy, like the wooden boat that the guy, that like the guys who like destroy mines use. Another lovely historical detail. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm pretty sure... Correct me if I'm wrong, that what those guys were doing during the Korean War, they were hired, those guys were hired to basically clear mines during the Korean yes, War. Because they were experts on it. Yeah. And they became the earliest example of the present day Japanese Navy. Yeah. So it is very historically accurate in every aspect except Godzilla. Yes. <laughs> but Godzilla here, right, is representing so many things. Uh, is representing so many things. But it's the lovely thing about it, at least in my mind, is that, like, you know, one of the last shots that Shikishima does survive, they defeat Godzilla, who, by the way, in traditional Godzilla fashion, isn't actually dead. He, You get a shot of uh, Godzilla's flesh, like, uh, uh, sinking. Coagulating. and But slowly starting to regenerate. Yeah. Um, but when he, he goes back and he sees Noriko, his uh, his soon-to-be wife. We, Who we he thought was dead. Who he thought he was dead. She survived, but she has uh, a scar on her neck that looks eerily like Godzilla. Yeah. So again, this is about trauma. Yeah. Right? This is about trauma. You don't escape your trauma. It never leaves you. You do, you do find ways to move forward with your life, to yeah. overcome it to some degree to live with it, to go on and, and, and be happy, but it does not leave you the same way that world war two, right. Never fully left Japan. Yes. And that Noriko now has also been, uh, permanently touched by this. It's possible. It's like, it's not clear whether or not she's infected by Godzilla or she has radiation poisoning and is going to die very yeah. soon. And this was an actual thing again, in the wake of, uh, the, the nuclear bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like, World War II didn't end because, uh, you know, the, the shooting stopped. It's like there was all this... This is one of the things people don't understand about war, is that we're still finding munitions from the Civil War yeah. in American soil, right? They are still dealing with the physical contamination of war, let alone the psychological and emotional devastation and fallout 
uh, for more. And that, I think, makes this such a poignant and honest anti-war film. And I want to note, this is in an era in which Japan is starting to remilitarize, ostensibly in response to, I think actually truthfully, in response to increased Chinese aggression. Yeah. But these are issues and themes that Japanese society is has been and will be grappling with in the very near future. Yeah. And lastly, it's really, just to circle back, it really recaptured probably, possibly even better than the first Godzilla on a consistent basis, what it really means to be a hero as a human. And it's the hero of being a father when you don't have, of being a parental figure when you don't have, like, the means or the ability to do it. I mean, Noriko had, Noriko shows up in um, the protagonist's um, apart. Um, life with a baby who isn't hers. How do you nurse that baby if it's not your baby? They have no idea. Yeah. And guess who tells them how? The woman who basically wanted the protagonist to die. Yeah. Sumiko, the neighbor who told Chikishima that he should be dead. Yeah. But confronted with the humanity of this child. Yeah. Sumiko reacts as a human. Yeah. Not as someone, she's not telling Shikishima, oh, you should still be dead. I'm not going to help this child. Yeah. She gives them the last of her white rice. Yeah. Which is a major sacrifice in a time and place where food is incredibly difficult to find. Yeah. And even when, when Shikishima first meets Noriko, she's stolen food she's running she just hands him the baby yeah and he he could have abandoned the baby but instead he sits in the market waiting for her to come back yeah and then doesn't leave the baby but starts to leave the market yeah at which point noriko re-emerges and he's like why didn't you show up she's like well i would have been seen yeah and, and arrested and then she asks him why didn't you abandon the child yeah he can't really answer it um although I mean, my read on it, and I'm interested in yours, is that, like, despite his feelings that he should be dead, despite his feelings of guilt and shame, he still, like, not abandoning that child shows two things. That he still believes in the value of human life, and also that he still does believe in a future. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, do you agree with that? Am I missing anything here? Some, some hint of it. He may not believe that he fully belongs in that future. That is a whole journey he has the entire movie. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely some degree of faith in humanity, though it's begrudgingly brought out by his, um, it begins with a frenemyship. Yeah. Of, with Noriko, but gradually... Um, they get closer, but, um, that's actually what I really love about the final or temporary final victory in Godzilla minus one. It's like, if there was no escape pod, he never would have realized that the girlfriend he couldn't propose to in time for Godzilla's attack was still 
barely hanging in there alive. Probably not for long. But he at least got to tell her that his war was over. Yeah, and that's what she asked him. Yeah. Um, is your war finally over? Yeah. And the, the answer is yes and no. Yeah. Godzilla's, Godzilla's not dead. But he has gained at least a temporary victory. Yeah. And a chance to build a life. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't mean... The thing is that they also know now that they can defeat Godzilla. Yeah. At least temporarily. Yeah. Uh, it's like a brief brief respite. And like... I also... You know, I think the inclusion of um, the child is also very important. Because this is something that will have traumatized her. Yeah. Right? Uh, growing up with parents who themselves are traumatized. Yeah. Um, losing... <laughs> Even though the child doesn't fully know what was happening. Yeah. Like, how close she came to actually not having either one of her parents. Yeah. And so, uh, what I love, so what I think is fascinating about this is that even though Godzilla Minus One is like a Godzilla movie that contemporary Hollywood could never make. Yeah. Right? Could never make. Um... Because I, I can just imagine looking at the current MonsterVerse and how they're going with Godzilla, they're so enraptured with their uh, extended universe that they can't that they're stuck. Yeah, making that version of Godzilla, like what they did with Shin Godzilla and Godzilla minus one, is something that, uh, for legal reasons, Hollywood cannot do. Yeah, right. It was universally praised. Minus One was universally praised by critics and by professionals around the world. Yeah. As and a, one of the greatest Godzilla films ever made, if not the greatest. And the MonsterVerse is just meh. Yeah. Meh. Yeah. That like, so Gareth Edwards, right, who wrote the, who uh, directed the uh, first of the rebooted American MonsterVerse Godzilla films, said that he was jealous. Yeah. That he was jealous that they could make this film. Yeah. Which says a few things to me. Um, maybe, uh, I'm not sure if you agree with me here, but it tells me a couple things. It tells me that first, there are filmmakers out there in the in, in the United States who want to make films like this. But can't. But can't. Uh, and second, there are audiences for these types of films if we could, you know allow us get get away from this eu bullshit yeah extended universe bullshit not the european union yeah yeah thank you for clarifying yeah. yes um it's just yeah i mean why uh, what's wrong with being episodic with movies like it without continuity um I mean, comic books, basic, the comic book industry in the 80s was partly saved because writers were were able to basically just focus on limited story arcs that just, and like graphic novel series, but not, but having a hard end of when they'd be done. Yes. And so it wouldn't be like an extended servitude. <laughs> um, it also allows for like creative, uh, uh, like creative, I guess, to, to jump it, or like creative destruction. 
that like each new version of Godzilla comes out of the death of the last version of Godzilla. Yeah. That like we don't want to be stuck with the same rendition of Godzilla for 20 years. Yeah. Right? We want him to be destroyed and reborn. Yeah. Yeah, we want human adversity and every to be to face a, the same monster every single time. We want him to tackle complicated, difficult subjects. And what I think interesting here is like, you know, we're talking Shin Godzilla was like Godzilla versus bureaucracy. Yeah. Right? There's actually astonishingly little of the government in yeah. minus one because you're in post-war Japan. Yeah. Right? So this is not a critique yeah. of the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy basically doesn't exist. Yeah. Right? So this was intentionally done because the director didn't want to uh, uh, redo yeah. Shin Godzilla. He wanted to do people on the ground level because the heroes are actually former naval service men. Yeah, exactly. Um, who are just deciding as private citizens. And they yeah. get a little bit of go-ahead. They get some supplies from the government. Yeah. But beyond that, the government is completely nameless, faceless. Like, just here's some ships. Yeah. Right. And part of the inspiration for this was that uh, was from the pandemic where – individual uh like uh hospital workers doctors care providers they were getting supplies from the government but because we were all quarantined from each other right because of the shutdowns we weren't actually physically proximate so that those decisions of solving problems were devolved down back to like the individual level and so when at all, when at all. So like, this is not a critique of Fukushima. This is not a critique of uh, the tsunami. This is instead a closer context to what we saw growing out of the pandemic, but it's not directly referring to that either. Yeah. Right. It is using some recent context, but this is a very different situation with Godzilla again, entering the situation as sort of like the catalyst for for um, the uh, uh, the char- the characters um, overcoming adversity, but how it's overcome and what he's symbolizing is is very very different, even from a recent reboot like Shin Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. It's like why can't we why can't we get more of these? I mean, I'm sure we wouldn't be able. To, I'm sure it wouldn't cheapen the character anytime soon. I mean, minus one is incredible. You know, and it feel it the same Shin Godzilla felt fresh when it came out. Godzilla minus one felt fresh when it came out. It's so and these are on tiny, tiny budgets compared. And I think that this should really be seen as a major indictment. Of Marvel, especially. Of, of Marvel, of the entire uh hero industrial complex. Yeah. Of how bloated these productions have become. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure Bob I'm sure Bob Egg Bob Iger is stewing right now. Like, I think the biggest thing is like how good this movie looks. That so many Marvel films are their CGI is smeary and ugly. Like, oh my god, I, when I was looking at the CGI um, in Aquaman, some of it was just ugly. They looked like it came out of video game cutscenes. From like the early aughts. And it was just deeply depressing of how bad it looked. Yeah. So that's like the PS2 era yeah. cutscenes. Oh my god. But like, and what minus one like looks, it's not like they 
cheaped out on how many special effect shots there are. Yeah. Right. But I think, interestingly enough, I want to talk about this. I'm going to go to a completely different um, movie, but did you see The Creator? Not yet. I've heard amazing things, though. It is... The story's meh. Yeah. But the key innovation there uh, was that they added the CGI. They They shot everything in real locations as much as possible. And the CGI was only added once, basically, they had finalized the cut of the movie. So the instead of building entire 3D models and sets for many shots that weren't even used in the final bit, they would go in and then the director would say, I want that person to be a robot. I want this thing in the background uh, of this shot. So then the digital artist would go in and add those specific things, knowing that their work was making it into the final cut of the movie. Yeah. So it's actually more expensive on a frame-by-frame basis to do special effects that way because um, you're having to contend with all the complications of dealing with actual locations, lighting, all that stuff. But it actually costs you less, and I, and it cause, and I have to believe it causes less creative burnout for uh, like the computer artists who yeah. do this stuff because you ne- there's no wasted work. Yeah. Every pixel that they work on shows up in the final movie. Yeah. And that means you do, like, exponentially less work. And second, as an artist, it's depressing to think that the scene that you worked on... Isn't in the final movie. Isn't in the movie! Right? Are you going to give your 100% of what you have as a creative if you have no guarantee that what you're spending your time on will ever show up in the film? Probably not. No. So I'm just saying that, like, I think the creator as, like, a story is mediocre. But as a way of making a beautiful film uh, with expensive-looking special effects, um, both Minus One and the creator, I think, are ideas for a way forward. Now I know what I need to see next. Yeah. And, like, I would just say that, like, you know, it's a far inferior film. To, to minus, minus one. one. Um, most films are. Yeah. <laughs> but thinking about seeing the movie in that context um, and thinking about it from a technical standpoint makes it a very engaging uh, film to see, I think, as someone who loves cinema. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just still like reeling about how amazing Godzilla Minus One is. I don't think it's in theaters anymore. Or... Maybe they maybe they don't have like they don't even have like uh someone to do to manage the rights for streaming, so it's gonna be a while before you can actually see it once it's one when if not in theaters. Yeah, I mean it's one of those where it might still be at a few art houses, yeah, uh, and stuff like that. I think it's gonna be hard, um, but you can. It's one of those movies that. I would see always on the biggest screen possible because it looks that it looks that beautiful. I saw it in IMAX. I second that a hundred percent. Yeah. So I would just say that like find a second run movie theater, yeah. right? Or um, one thing. This is something I say for the real cinephiles out there. But like you can rent out theaters for private screenings for cheaper than you think. So if you get together a bunch of friends who love films, like yeah. on a random weeknight, right? 
you can just rent out a theater and have them film whatever you want. And you're basically just paying for the, just paying for the room because you, you, they already have Godzilla minus one, most likely. So they're not paying extra on it uh, and the food. So, um, and Hey, if they, we have another pandemic, uh, I was able to rent out entire movie theaters for 75 bucks during the pandemic. So oh I just say in the like, if we have another pandemic, maybe this will be a good one to see. Yeah. And we, and we will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. Yeah. So that was, thank you for coming, Matt. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I, I love Godzilla. I love being on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so glad, so, so glad you came, came for this one. Ladies and gentlemen, bridge by bridge, scene by scene, note by note, this is, Bite by bite, this is the inverted cranium.